What's up, folks? Welcome back to the Whoop Podcast, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, and we're going to dive right in. This week's episode, Whoop VP of Performance Science, Principal Scientist, the fearless Kristen Holmes, is joined by Rachel Vickery. Rachel works with high performers in professional and elite sport and elite military who need to do big and difficult things where the stakes are high and the impact is significant. Now she is working as a high performance consultant, optimizing the physiological stress response so good people can execute when it matters and sustain long careers in those environments. Rachel is also a qualified sports physiotherapist, a former international representative gymnast, a performance ambassador for leaders in sports, and has co-founded two digital health startups. Kristen and Rachel will discuss learning how to perform under pressure. Rachel actually talks about her time as a professional gymnast, the power of interoception, how cold therapy can be used as a mental coaching exercise, preparing to be in the arena as a high performer, breathing mechanics and performance. Rachel actually shares a story about a professional golfer. She helped fall back in love with the sport and how to set yourself up for success. If you have a question you want to see answered on the podcast, email us podcast.com. Call us 508-443-4952. Without further ado, here are Kristen Holmes and Rachel Vickery. So people need to perform in high pressure situations, whether it's on the field of play, in the boardroom, in the operating room, or making a toast at a wedding. We all have moments that feel high stakes. Today, we're going to leverage the amazing Rachel and her expertise to help us understand the science behind pressure and how we can create an infrastructure to enable us to show up when the stakes are high. Rachel, welcome. Thank you, Kristen. Thanks for having me here. Oh my gosh, so excited to, yeah. to be able to chat with you. You Likewise. have had this really interesting career yourself. And, and I think one of the sports that when I watch it, I don't know any sport that feels more high stakes and pressure than gymnastics. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe talk a little bit about just your introduction to just pressure. Yeah. And, you know, I imagine, you know, you just competing at, you know, an Olympic level, national level, you know, for yeah. New Zealand, you experienced um, yeah. a lot of pressure. Yeah, and it was pressure at a young age too, which yeah. I think was, you know, unlike many sports where you get to almost be an adult when you come to those moments of real pressure, right. we're still kids. You know, like 13 was the first time I was on the national team as a junior, but totally wasn't prepared for the stuff that we were getting exposed to, yeah. you know. And I think in that environment with gymnastics, there's, um, there's the pressure and fear in that acute moment of doing a particular move, particularly if it's one that you're not comfortable with. But then there's also the pressure of the environment itself, you know, and pressure of, you know, letting teammates down, letting yourself down, letting the country down, letting family down, letting coaches down, you know, and all of those sorts of layers that come into it as well. Particular sport like gymnastics, which is at the time was certainly a really toxic environment as well. But, you know, certainly for me, it's that exposure to that environment is what has me do what I do now, you know. Um, yeah. It was like kind of the ultimate training ground. Yeah, it ways, pretty much know? was, you know. And it was actually that exposure to how is it that as a human I can do something really, really well. Like I used to have this mount that I'd do up onto the beam and the you know, beam's like four inches wide and, yeah. you know, and, and I could nail this particular, it was a very difficult mount. It was a back somersault, blind entry land on one leg. Jesus. Um, yeah, yeah, right. I don't know what my I, coach I'm was thinking. You, I, I yeah, watch yeah. it. I mean, I think gymnastics is so. It just seems so far out of the realm of just 
human yeah. capability. You know, like I, I can't know. even imagine executing any of those no. things. <laughs> and I look at it now, I'm like, how did I do that? You know? Yeah. But it was this move that I could do just perfectly in, in practice and training or in a low level competition, mm. but I couldn't nail it on a big international. You know, I fell once. And I think after I fell that first time, and it didn't fall significantly, I was like just a tiny little bit off balance. But in, you know, when the beam is that narrow, the margin of error is so small. So, and I, and I fell and I couldn't work out why is it that I can do it when there's no pressure, but in those big moments I fall, you know. And I think the traditional approach, certainly back when I was a competing athlete, was it's a mental issue. You know, you're mentally weak or it's in your head. Work with a sports psychologist, do the right visualisation, use the right self-talk and you'll be able to crack it. And I didn't and I couldn't. And I was a really good competitor everywhere else. So it wasn't like I couldn't handle pressure, but it was this one particular thing. Does that make sense? And, it does, yeah. And that, that was fascinating for me just to, just to go what goes on for humans you know yeah. both in that moment but also where are we when we walk into our performance arena in terms of what is our our pressure state mm. at, at that point and you know for for me as a gymnast it was less about I think that particular move but it was everything else about the environment and and life right. bigger picture that meant I came into that environment already feeling under that you know that physiological stress response was kicking in already right I had right. no chance and, and then <laughs> In a negative way, right? A negative because we way. need some level of anxiety, right? Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. In order to kind yeah. of generate the arousal we need yeah. to perform on a stage like that. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. So, based on what I kind of understand from just the, the literature in psychology, if you're generally speaking expert, so let's say you're expert at mm. the balance me, you're expert at this move, right? Yeah. Even at a very young age, you're expert. Yeah. Generally speaking, experts perform better the bigger the stage. Mm-hmm generally. Mm. So where do you think the disconnect was? Because you had all the repetitions. You had, you know, what what did you learn that mm. if it wasn't confidence necessarily, wasn't, you know, the sports psychology couldn't fix you, what was yeah, the, yeah. you know, and I put that in quotations because yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you were not broken to yeah, be yeah, really yeah. clear. But, you know, what, what was the mechanism behind, you know, that inappropriate level of arousal in that moment? Mm. I think that there was so much writing on it that it was more the high consequence of outcome. You know, in the world that I work in now, certainly, you know, at go time, you know, as in like when you step into your performance arena and you need to be able to execute, Mm -hmm. there's usually a few things, usually three, maybe four, depending on your sport. You know, one is um, high consequence of outcome. Mm -hmm. You know, one is unknown and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. One is being outside your comfort zone. And then if you're in a sport where there is a, some sort of aerobic component, there's also a significant change in breathing from a, from a um, ventilatory response, mm-hmm. you know, not from the arousal perspective, but just from literally what changes to breathing mechanics right. when you're breathing hard and fast. So three, if not four of those. And so sometimes you can account for one of them, you know. Um, but, but for me as a gymnast, I think there was, apart from the aerobic capacity, there was, there was certainly three of them. Um, and I think it was the biggest one was the consequence of outcome that in that moment was the was the big one because it was more the feedback of what we were going to get from the coaching staff. Do you know what I mean? And that yeah. was, um, I think that extrinsic pressure wasn't so much internal. Right. So I think that's one of the things if you're more of an adult, you know, you talk about being an expert, you've perhaps got a, a better internal barometer in terms of confidence and all those sorts of, of things, right? Yeah. 
as a young athlete, we're so um, driven or I guess our internal litmus test of have I done a good job mm. is not internal. It's especially sport like gymnastics. Right. You're, you're relying on coaches and, you're relying and, coaches and also judges, right? So you can do a good yeah. job and there's a judge down the other end of, you know, that holds up a right. scorecard and their opinion is more important than what our right. opinion at the end of the day, right? Because that's, mm. how, that's how sport works. Yeah. But I think, you know, what I, years later when I, you know, went down my professional career, with all the things that I've added into that, is understanding that, yes, when we talk about pressure, there is obviously the mental or the cognitive side of that. But there's also a significant change in our physiology and our biomechanics that happens as a result of that. And so for me, and I think we see this a lot with experts, you know, in yeah. inverted commas, especially elite athletes, is that we practice our, our event to the point that you know exactly where you need to position yourself precisely to execute your thing. Mm-hmm. However, a subtle change in biomechanics because of what changes with the physiological stress response. Mm -hmm. And that physiological stress response, one of the changes will be a change to respiratory mechanics, Mm -hmm. which will generally change firing up through, you know, the upper limb, right? And Mm -hmm. so you get an increase in tension through the shoulders, you get an increase in tension across the chest and across the upper back. And so a sport like gymnastics, where you're positioning yourself exactly, you know, we see it with free throws for basketball, there's mm-hmm. a lot of sports, mm-hmm. firearms and military, mm-hmm. you know, is that just that subtle change in biomechanics and timing because of the physiological stress response that's been triggered by all of these other things, the change was actually a biomechanical change. So yeah. as I was coming into the board on that particular move, my time, I could actually feel my timing was off, but yeah. it was too late to course correct because right. you're already in motion. Does What's that make that? sense? Yeah, and so, and so what we never taught is, the, yes, we did the visualisation, the mental rehearsal, the self-talk, right. but we weren't taught, I guess, that breathing sense mechanics. of breathing mechanics, but also what am I feeling in my body and what's changed and how can I work with my body to change, you know, what am I feeling in my breathing? What am I feeling in my heart rate? You know, all of that, you know, interception really, yeah. like to go, what am, what's my body doing in this moment right. that I can actually replicate it in my body mm-hmm. rather than trying to change it in my mind. So is interception kind of step one, would you say, you know, when you're, when you're trying to help someone, because you work with all, you know, these really top performers, right, yeah, in, yeah, the, in yeah. the world, right, yeah. to kind of help them work through pressure and, and be able to perform to their potential when it matters the most. Yeah. Would you say that's kind of, how do you train interoception, right? Like I, yeah. you know, I think that this is, uh, from, from my perspective, like I couldn't agree more that I, I think having, being in touch with what's happening internally, your, your heart rate and your, your respiration, like all of that I think is, is such a critical element mm. to performance mm. and just to self-regulation and to be able to kind of bring yourself to a point where you have appropriate arousal, mental, physically, emotionally, understanding that that is actually what underpins it, I think is probably a really important source of insight. So if you just talk a little bit more about how do we develop interoception and Mm. when people develop it, what can they, how do they then leverage it in these high pressure moments? Mm. And it's funny because it's a term that I hadn't really come across until relatively recently. You know, I've been working in this space for like two decades. So I think in terms of giving it a label is relatively new. Mm. Um, But that's like a lot of things, I guess, isn't it? Um, You know, same as allostatic load, right? That's a relatively recent or new term. You know, not when I say recent, it's not like 20 years. So we've been using it. It's coming into the public consciousness in a way that it... That it hasn't previously. It's been in the science world, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, And so in terms of how do we train it, I think what's fascinating is that normally the only time that we get that real adrenaline hit, you know, that physiological stress response really kicking in Mm. is usually in a scenario where there is a priority threat focus, you know. So so what I mean by that is, um, 
you're generally focused on whatever it is that has triggered that response in us and you're worrying about solving that. Does that make sense? Yep. And so we don't normally get awareness in that moment of what am I feeling? Mm. What, am I, what am I thinking? What am I noticing with my heart rate, my breathing, all of those sorts of things? Because I'm just worrying about what do I need to do to sort out here. Mm -hmm. So one of the environments that we'll often use is, funnily enough, and you know, I know this gets done to death for some of the wrong reasons, mm. but is ice bath exposure, mm. right? Because I think when you get in the ice bath, especially if you haven't front-loaded it with anything, you know, and my preference is you just get in and you feel, how does my body respond to that? Because I think it gives us a great insight to, you know, the trigger might be different. The thing that triggers that stress response, there's a whole lot of different environments and scenarios and what triggers yours is going to be different from mine. And when but, you say front-load, what yeah, do you mean? You know, it's kind of your... You're preloading kind of what you think is going to happen well, when you get to Yeah, spot, but or? also, I mean, I think one of the popular shiny things these days, right, in the performance world is to do some sort of breath work before getting mm. into the ice bath. And I think I can understand some of why that happens. Mm -hmm. But again, if you think about the functional go moment, when yeah. that comes out sideways in life, you haven't got time to go, hang on right. a sec, just give me 30 seconds while I do my you know, fill in the gaps, breath work, right? Yeah. Um, All right, I'm doing it right. I just get my booty right into that yeah, cold water. Yeah, 100%, yeah. right? It's like, you know... <laughs> I don't you, think about it. <laughs> you don't think about it. <laughs> right. But in the real life, you know, if, if, if it's a car accident, if it's someone that's suddenly shooting you, if it, you're in theatre and a patient goes south, mm. you know, you don't generally have time or warning that says, hey, you're about to get this adrenaline hit, this physiological stress response where breathing changes, decision-making changes, yep. situational awareness changes you know, all of those things, you need to be able to feel it and then immediately de-escalate it. So having those mm -hmm. tools in your toolkit to be able to do that. So I think the first thing with ice bath is it just gives people an awareness of where does my body go to? You know, what yeah. is my stuff? Because some people will feel it absolutely in their breathing to the point that they'll hyperventilate and they really mm -hmm. notice, wow, I get really tight through my shoulders. But some people might notice that it's actually their thought processes that change. They very much go to that victim mindset. You know, mm -hmm. this is this is, you know, this is crap, what am I doing this for? This is a waste of time. You know, this is cold. I've got to get out of here. This is too hard. They'll be right. more in their head with it rather than being body. in a body with mm -hmm. it. So I think that straight away gives awareness for them mm -hmm. and then they can start to work through and that. how do you coach? So someone who's in their head when they get in the ice bath versus someone who is kind of feeling it in their body, Yeah. what are the different coaching moments for those kind of different pathways? Different of, pathways. Yeah. I mean, obviously the first thing is just notice, right? Yeah. Just notice. Right, it's just the um, awareness. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think very much then coming into the body, you know, I think mm. as humans, right, we're, uh, we, we kind of like to think that we're the, we are these very smart, you know, cognitive beings that just happen to feel. But if you think biologically, we're fe feeling beings that happen to think. Mm. So more often our thought processes are, are driven by our physiology, whether we're, we're in sympathetic nervous system or parasympathetic nervous mm -hmm. system. You know, if we are in sympathetic nervous system because of this physiological response, we're more primed mentally mm -hmm. to be looking for where is the threat, where is the danger, where right. is the thing that I have to, you know, it's basically, I guess, at a primal level, don't die, right? Right. That'll show up in a lot of different modern ways for us. If I'm teaching this visually, I usually, you know, I talk about squiggly lines and red lines, right? Because it kind of makes a little bit of a, um, a visual understanding of the fact that with our arousal state, as in like our physiological stress response, parasympathetic or sympathetic nervous system we're always fluctuating between the two it's right. not black and white that we're in this one or we're in this one right. you know you right. even in a, in, even a stressful day we'll be mm -hmm. fluctuating right mm -hmm. and we've always got a threshold that says as long as my arousal state stays below whatever my threshold is and you'll have a different mm -hmm. threshold in the same environment 
then as long as my arousal state is below my threshold, none of the negative side of performance will show up. Mm -hmm. You know, I can, my cognitive awareness, my decision making, my fine motor skills, all of that stays mm -hmm. in my relative control. But yeah. once that crosses my threshold or my red line, you know, yeah. that's when I lose my smart decision making, my situational right. awareness, my fine motor skills, my big gross motor skills sometimes mm -hmm. that will alter and change performance. Now, if we try to sort of think that through in our head, but I've lost my rational thinking and my smart decision making, it's too hard. I actually need right. a almost a body skill or a way that yeah. I can data input into my physiology to de-escalate my arousal totally. state. Then my smart brain's back online and then I can talk myself down from the ledge or yeah. I can think through what is my next action, what do I need to do? Does that, does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I totally, and as a psychophysiologist, I think about this, the integration yeah, yeah. of these two things yeah. and which comes first. You yeah. know, and I always feel like the path to accessing the mindset that you need in the moment to perform, your, your path to that is through your physiology. 100%. You know, there, there's yeah. no question. Like, I, yeah. I've, I don't know if, if everyone would agree, certainly a psychologist thinks that I think you can, they can talk yourself into a better future, but, yeah. but I think to get to a point, place where you can talk yourself into a better future, the degree to which you can kind of control your autonomic nervous system to yeah. a degree, and I know that is kind of a people are like it's automatic but yeah, but i think yeah. you know but i think what we're but saying you can is data that and put into it right of course yeah. right like you you know you can bring yourself from a sympathetic state yeah. to a parasympathetic state 100%. through your breath right yeah. and this is this yeah. exciting revelation i think in the last decade yeah. is that we actually have way more control over physiology than totally. we ever thought right totally. and and i think this is and I, I'd love to get, you know, to hear you expand on this, like the number one skill is interoception, right? Mm. Our path to interoception is number one is awareness mm. in putting ourselves in situations where we are forced to become aware mm. of our body. We're mm. forced to kind of think about this relationship between our autonomic nervous system and how it's signal, sending signals to our heart, right? Yeah. We get into this cold bath, yeah. right? It's 37 degrees and all of a sudden I am sympathetic. I've got adrenaline in my, in my yeah, and now yeah. all of a sudden I am I can't help but be aware of my body. So this yeah. is like incredible training ground yeah. is what you're saying yeah. for and this interoception. And the nice thing is, is that in that moment in the ice bath, yeah. you're getting in with the only, that's the sole purpose is right. to train the stress response, is to awareness and now how do I train it? How mm. do I, what can I do that is going to de-escalate my arousal state that right. will take control rather than, you know, I've worked with professional footballers, even elite military, you know, we yeah. first get it them in and they just try to white knuckle it you know they're like yeah. i can suck it up and i can deal with it right. and it's like i know you can but that's not the purpose because in again in your go moment in the real life situation if you're having to put that much energy into just white knuckling it and dealing with that three minutes in the ice bath that's so energy costly that mm. you can't do that in the go moment when your threat focus is elsewhere because right. you're using all of that mental focus just to white knuckle the ice bath. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? It does, yeah. So what we want you to be able to do is get to that point of complete calm and you do that through, you know, obviously breathing is a, is a critical one. Right. Um, but it's not, again, it's not breath work, right? It's coming no. back to first principles of respiratory mechanics, right. expiratory phase longer than the inspiratory, in and out through the nose using the diaphragm, mm -hmm. you know, um, in terms of tapping into parasympathetic breathing. Yep. Just restate that because you went really fast. Sorry. <laughs> I think you said a longer exhale yeah. than an inhale, right? Longer exhale okay. than an inhale. Right, right, yeah. Right. And there's, there's a whole lot of reasons that we do that from a respiratory mechanics perspective, mm -hmm. but also from heart rate, mm -hmm. slowing down more with the exhale than the inhale. But if we put more emphasis on the inhale, we tend to breath stack. So we get right. shallower and we end up being an upper chest breather. And as mm -hmm. soon as you're an upper chest breather, mm -hmm. you're a sympathetic 
you're in sympathetic nervous system. And I think just in breathing, you know, there's a why I come back to, you know, breath work is not breathing mechanics. There's a huge difference between what you do for that two minutes of breath work mm-hmm. versus the 20,000 breaths that you will do through the day when you're not thinking about breathing. Right. And the 20,000 breaths that you'll do through the day when you're not thinking about breathing have more of an impact on your arousal state than what you do with those couple of minutes, yep. right? Yep. Um, and we can, you know, the story I'll often, often talk in that scenario is a, is a golfer, he's a pro golfer, mm. and he had his card up here in the US, and then he had a form slump, and then he couldn't make the cut, and then he lost his card, and he moved back home, and he'd been working with a sports psychologist for about eight years at that point on, you know, on breathwork, um, and then psych had referred him. I work very closely with psych. has got a lot of time for yeah. them. And, you know, obviously it's an it's a integrated approach. But, you know, and, and he came in t- to see me. He'd been referred about a year before he comes in. And he comes in and he says, Rach, he goes, I've made the decision this morning. I'm done with golf. This is the first time I've ever met him, you know. Uh, and to be honest, I don't need to learn this breathing crap. He didn't use that word. He used a very Australian word, but, you know, PG <laughs> podcast. Um, he goes, I don't need to learn this because it doesn't work. And I said, okay. He's like, the psych's been teaching me for years. And I said, well, how does the psych teach you breathing for arousal state control or for performance? And he's like, well, as part of my pre-shot routine, I step off the ball, I take three, you know, big breaths, deep breaths. Um, I step in the ball, I dress the ball, I play my shot. And I said, fantastic. How long are you on the course for and he was like anywhere from four to four and a half hours I said great how many shots do you take and he looked at me like I was an idiot and he was like well 70 I was like okay cool so what you're telling me is of the four and a half thousand breaths you're going to do that whole round 210 of them are designed to set your state but the other 99.6 percent you're leaving completely to chance Mm. and he just looked at me like I haven't got this breathing so well sorted Which was awesome because then what we could do, right, is we could step him through biomechanics and we could actually say to him, hey, when this adrenaline kicks in, the sympathetic nervous system kicks in, one of the first things that happens is your you know, limbic system makes you breathe upper chest because it thinks it's preparing you to run from danger or to fight, but you need more air, which is why we start to upper chest breathe, right? It's part of the respiratory response to exercise. We will use our upper chest. However, if you're a golfer and you've practiced your swing, same as what we're talking about with that gymnastics move, right? You know exactly where to position yourself, the fluidity of your backstroke and your follow through. You know your timing really, really well. But now when you're walking from the ball and you're walking between shot and you're thinking, if I miss the shot, I'm going to miss the cut. If I miss the cut, I'm going to probably miss payday. If I miss payday, I'm not supporting my family. If I miss, you know, and that all escalates yeah. in the head, right? Yeah. Which means that that golfer is getting this increase because of his respiratory mechanics changing. So now his whole biomechanics of his swing is completely different. And we could just show him that on his anatomy, say, these are the muscles you use to breathe with. These are the muscles you use for your golf swing. Can you see how this changes? And he was like, oh, that's not a problem in my head. That's a problem in my body. Because if we could actually then give him, A, the awareness of what's changing as it was changing, mm-hmm. but B, more importantly, what can you do to replicate by dropping your shoulders, breathing out, yep. you know, those sorts of things, yeah. right? Lift your eyes, use your, use your peripheral vision. Again, another yep. great way to turn on parasympathetic. Yep. Then he could actually start to take control and replicate the position mm-hmm. that he was in when he needed to execute his skill yep. rather than just being reactive to yep. his arousal state. You know, and he cracked it and he got his card back. My son is really into golf these days. He's interested in playing in college and spends a lot of time. And that's what we say, like between holes, it's breath and strategy. That's yeah. it. You're not attaching yourself to outcomes. And maybe yeah. just talk, because I think a lot of what you're saying is, and I think a lot of when we think about high pressure and high stakes, we think about, you know, performing for a certain outcome. And yeah, I, yeah. 
you know, having, you know, coach and high stakes, high, high pressure situations for many, many years. And um, I really created an infrastructure with my team to almost detach ourselves from outcomes. So yeah. all of our kind of our entire kind of ethos and framework was set up to evaluate our performance, not on outcomes, but a set of principles and that we were aiming to kind of, or values that we were aiming to live, yeah, you know, yeah, through, yeah. through our sport. Awesome. And, That's great. You know, that. so it was just like a different way of, yeah. of thinking about it. As a result, we want a lot, yeah, you know, yeah, a yeah. ton. I think about this idea of outcomes as being really an assault on the process mm. and creating this uh, physio a physiological and psychological state that actually is quite counterproductive yeah. when, you, when you unpack it in the way that, that you do. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, it's, so I think as a, you know, as a, as a strategy, like I love setting your state. So interoception is the awareness piece. Mm. Cold is a thing that you can do mm. to train mm. that interoception. Is there a, other couple modalities that you feel like are really good to kind of help mm. help get a person to maybe feel that their internal state? Um, so cold, you mentioned, yeah. and then we'll we'll talk a little bit more about setting your state real quick. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think you know, in terms of cold, it's the, it's the awareness piece, but then it is the training piece too. Yeah, right. And so it's you know, can I breathe? Can I just get to that point of of, of calm? Mm -hmm. Depending on the people that I'm then working with, mm. we will then either, once they've got to that point of calm, and, you know, this is not for the average person necessarily, yeah. right? This yeah. is, I mean, you know, the types of people that I that I work with, totally. as, as do you. But then we'll get them to do some cognitive training. Mm -hmm. So it's like, right, in the ice bath, with control of your state, now is it, you know, they might need to know a, you know, do some really complex maths equations depending on their role, or they might mm. have to, you know, foreign language or something like that. So can you actually be working with us at the same time as now staying in control of your arousal state? And what they notice is as soon as they start to get into their head to think about that thing, their shoulders come up, mm. they lose control of their breathing, their heart rate starts going fast again. So then we try to put those two together. So we're training them to layer that ability to do some hard cognitive tasks with still control of their arousal state or fine motor skills, mm. you know, as, as an example. So you kind yeah. of stack complexity 100%. as you gain yeah. more confidence or competence kind of in that arousal, yeah. arousal state. Yeah. So, so they're trying to almost mm. control it, not subconsciously, but more at a lower level of I can concentrate on another task, and but I'm subtly aware, oh, my shoulders have come up. So yeah. how do I just, well, my breathing's got tight, so I have to do that at the same time. And even that is great awareness for them as soon as the first time we usually do that, where we throw another more complex task at them, mm. where they realize that they lose control of that arousal state very quickly, is again for them to understand, okay, now in your performance arena, can you see how, you know, because most of our high performers, right, have that mental, emotional, physical ability to do very difficult things. Mm. They're very mentally, physically, emotionally, even spiritually resilient, yeah. right? But that doesn't mean that their physiological stress response is not going nuts under the surface and escalating right. Right. to the point that it can cross over their threshold and tank performance. Yeah. So when we do that for the first time in the ice bath, as an example, they go, oh, I get why at go time in that really high pressure moment, mm -hmm. even though I'm mentally, physically, emotionally resilient, mm. I lose control or I make mistakes or my decision making goes AWOL right. because it's escalating without me realizing it. So that also then puts the awareness for them on why it's important for them to learn to train that yeah. rather than, you know, most people... I call it the technical, tactical hope strategy. You know, yeah. they get really good at the technical and tactical aspects of their craft, whatever mm -hmm. that is, and then just hope that it shows up under pressure yeah. without having an understanding that you actually need to have an understanding of what changes for me when that pressure response kicks in. Yeah. So I think, you know, ice bath is fantastic. I'll also use really intense, depending again on the group, really intense physical 
exertion and mm. training when you can actually get someone to that point of physiological redlining, mm -hmm. you know, from a physical exertion yeah. perspective, and then do fine motor training or cognitive training or right. whatever. So again, right. they have to apply to some skills to de-escalate. Usually, you know, same thing, breath, vision, thought, you know, usually three of the things that change in our physiological stress response that we do actually have conscious control over with training. You know, heart rate is a little bit harder as a direct, as a direct input. Yeah. The breath out, we can generally have a, a lot more control over. Yeah. And vision, expanding our vision. Yeah, we exactly. Want, we don't want to have a narrow We don't vision. want tunnel vision. Yep. Yeah. So yep. either looking up or, or just being aware of peripheral yep. vision, just bring that back, on, yep. back online. Yeah. I tell my son when he's, you know, walking to the next hole, like, don't look at the ground. Don't look, you know, like, yeah, look, yeah, yeah. Look, <laughs> look up. You know, look and even up. that, right? Yeah. It's like giving someone a... But that a, does a, something to your mechanics as well, you know, when does, you're looking up yeah. versus down. Yeah. yeah. And giving someone, a, you know, that action framed in a way that's what to do what not to do you know right. so rather than don't look at the ground it's like right. hey look, look up. up yeah totally that's important in our own self-talk too mm -hmm. you know in terms of how we frame things because right. coming back to your point about the outcome piece mm -hmm. right um, i do a lot of work with uh, high level swimmers where they're very focused on the time mm. that's often what the, when they start a race that's success or failure you know, for yeah. me as a gymnast same thing it was a score right. right but when you set something up that's outcome focused then there's a risk that you might actually fail at the task. And when you understand, you know, as I know yeah. you do, right, you know, human physiological stress response, mm -hmm. failure as a primal human was literally a death sentence. Right. And so anytime we perceive that there is a chance that I might fail at something, sympathetic nervous system kicks in, right, because right? it's trying to keep me safe from failing at that task, failing to rate to you know, run away from a lion, right? It wins, it's all over for me. Yeah. So if it's something that's the outcome, I might fail at that. Right. Then there's suddenly a high consequence of outcome right. to that and threat response kicks in. If I'm yeah. focusing on the processes or more even creativity, right, or mm -hmm. opportunity in that. Yeah. It's like curiosity. Curiosity, right? Yeah. It's like, I wonder how well I can play. Right. I wonder how clean I can execute this thing. Right. And sometimes with training, I'll get a group, well, it works very powerfully when you get a group especially if it's a group where they're the same sport and it's mm. easy to give them some examples. Yeah. And it might be, okay, close your eyes and just feel in your body, I have to swim, and we give them a t whatever their time is, right? Right. And they'll just notice mm -hmm. randomly as they're closing their eyes, they'll notice that their shoulders will creep up, their heart mm. starts going, they'll feel this heaviness in their stomach, right. almost this heaviness in their body. And now I'm like, okay, close your eyes, same thing, what do you notice in your body? I wonder how fast I can swim. You know, I can swim yeah. fast and I wonder how yeah. fast I can swim. And they'll describe like this lightness or this openness mm. or this, um, you know, just freedom more in their body. And yeah. they're like, fantastic. Which version of you behind the blocks do you think is going to swim better? Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, obviously this one, you know. So it just gives them that confidence, I think, to know mm. when you change your thinking, yeah. this is what how it changes your body. Can you see that that's probably going to give you that better performance, that yeah. ability to replicate the fluidity, the power, the length, whatever it is that you need to execute for your thing. Yeah, I think that's like such a powerful uh, framework for people or just even like when you think about it from a psychological perspective, you know, it's everything you're describing is called appraisal, right? Like how sure. I'm appraising the situation 100%. is it going to yep. put me in a bucket of either at a high, the highest level, easy, challenging or very difficult. Yeah, yeah. And when I'm in a very difficult situation or I perceive or appraise the situation to be very difficult, yeah. I'm going to have a mental, physical, emotional response that's probably suboptimal. Yeah. It's not going to allow me to perform to my potential yeah. under pressure. Yeah, yeah. Like similarly, and I think this is important for us to talk about too, is what if I appraise that task as too easy, for yeah. example, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm also not going to generate the yeah. appropriate level of, of mental, physical, emotional arousal. And I can think in 
you know, in a lot of situations that maybe I feel like something isn't as relevant, but you know what, I still need to perform. Mm. So there's there's relevance and appraisal, appraisal kind of work together. Relevance basically sets a ceiling on how much, what my potential motivation is for the yeah. task, yeah. right? So I think, and, and I feel like performers, and anyone who's interested in con performing consistently needs to understand the relationship between perception and appraisal, yeah. right? If we don't, if we don't know how to manipulate the, that, yeah. we can't consistently perform at, at at peak levels. Hundred percent. So maybe just talk a little bit about. Okay, let's assume that our potential for motivation is high. Mm -hmm. That is, I think it's really relevant. Mm -hmm. All right. How would you coach someone to kind of toggle between? You know, they perceive it as very difficult, but it's relevant. How do we get them back into this? kind of very challenging kind of middle state where arousal is appropriate and mm. it's going to enable to me perform, mm. you know, to mm. my potential in mm. that pressure situation. Yeah, and I'd probably look at it slightly different, right, a slightly different framework from when you're in that moment and you're going to get the natural increase in arousal because of go time, because it's very difficult, yeah. right, or there's the high consequence of outcome or I'm way outside my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Have I got buffer already in the system? between where is the start point and where is my threshold. Because if I'm coming into go moment already with a heightened physiological arousal state because of life, right? So sleep, because of sleep, hydration, all of fueling. That, yep, yeah. totally. All of yeah, the yeah. stuff, you know, all of the stuff in terms of the practicalities mm -hmm. that we know. And, you know, unfortunately, I'd love to say there's something sexy and shiny, but it's the fundamentals. Yeah. But to me, you know, in high performances, you know, it is doing the common uncommonly well, right? right. And right. and so that gives you the standout. Sleep, recovery, Sleep, training rec consistently. All well of those things. Is going to be your buffer 100%. for this moment. But then there's yeah. also this the other stuff, right, around fear of what other people think. Yeah. Fear of not being good enough. You know, yeah. our self-doubts, our insecurities, our stuff that goes on for us as, as humans that we often don't, doesn't fit in a box, mm. you know, and, and, and I think it, especially in the performance world, you can measure sleep, you can measure, like there's so much that you can measure yeah. in that, right? The other stuff, the fear of failure, fear of other people, even fear of success, you know, for a lot of people, success comes with more responsibility, right? Which also is stressful for a lot of people, more yeah. exposure, more, you know, loss of, you know, like I, I remember working with a, with a client at one point who didn't want the degree of fame I guess that you know Steph Curry had and he was one of his teammates you know yeah. because he was like well Steph can't even go to the supermarket and do his grocery shopping yeah. I don't I don't want to lose that mm -hmm. you know so it's interesting a lot of that stuff that noise that actually makes us humans you know and then there's the practicalities of you know life taxes and jobs and all that sort of stuff right. so all of that that's the allostatic load piece yeah. right it's that yeah. accumulation of stuff over time that if I haven't handled that and I haven't got good strategies in that space, it makes a huge difference. It means I'm already coming into my performance arena with like no buffer in the system. Right. So when I get the normal so increase in go time. is basically yeah. half empty, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. half full. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so given that we, if we accept that at go time moment, you know, there's going to probably be those three, if not four of those things that we talked about before, because yeah. that's the reality of go time moment, right? To me, we're always going to get an increase in arousal state mm -hmm. in those big moments that's not the problem, yeah. right? As long as we've got buffer in the system right. to handle that. Right. So when we're training people in, in my world, what we'll do is we'll give people some immediate de-escalation skills. You know, I've crossed red line and I need to immediately mm -hmm. get under, and that's what we are talking about before about 
the breath out, the eyes up, and usually right. having a preloaded thought that might be either gratitude or opportunity mm. because we can't think, you know, generally gratitude and fear, they don't live in the same place in the brain, yeah. right? And so they'll tap into very different things. And as crystal waving and, and, and as unicorny as that might sound, it's very powerful in that moment to have a front-loaded thing, right, yeah. to think about. Gratitude, awe, and curiosity are just like, oh, I, I, we, I don't think humans leverage those enough. I would agree. You know, I, I yeah. just think it, it puts you to your point. Yeah. And just this, it, it creates a, a very powerful physiological response that puts you in, in so much more control. 100%. Yeah. So we'll give them, you know, immediate, I call them get out of jail cards, right? You know, oh, I how do that. I, I've crossed, I'm in jail, how do I get out? Mm. The most effective get out of jail card is don't end up in jail in the first place. Right, which is all of that front-loaded stuff. Right, right. And that. then we'll also teach people, okay, how, you know, how can I push my, my red line out? How can I push out my, I guess, comfort with being uncomfortable? Ice mm-hmm. bath training. Yeah. I'll do mental rehearsal work, but not mental rehearsal. So this rehearsal. is the uncertainty, unknown and uncertainty uh-huh. kind of. hundred yeah. percent, you yeah. know. And so with mental rehearsal, I don't do it where it's like close your eyes and, and, and visualize yourself doing the thing. We'll, we'll get someone into a, into a calmer state you know, so that ideally we've tapped into optimal brainwave states for them to then do some mental rehearsal. But more mm-hmm. importantly, as they're mentally rehearsing with their eyes closed and they're lying down, they're sensing what's happening in their body at the time. Mm-hmm. So rather than just mentally rehearsing where the physiological stress response goes unchecked, you know, because mm-hmm. often when you ask people when they mentally rehearse, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I don't do it because it makes me feel nervous or anxious. So they'll stop doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, actually, if that's your body response, fantastic. Let's leverage that. But now let's get you to the point that we can mentally rehearse. But in the now moment while your eyes are closed and, you, and your head doing the thing, you're also keeping your shoulders dropped and you're keeping your breathing into your belly and your heart rate is slow. So I often think of that like um, video editing software. You know how mm. you've got like the visual track and then you've got yeah. the audio and you've got special effects. And so basically what we want to do out. is we want to keep the visual track, but we mm. want to cleave out the, whatever your, your physiological stress response has been playing for the last couple of years because it's trying to keep mm. you safe from that threatening environment. Yeah. Let's take that one out and actually now let's load, de- load into that with your mental rehearsal, yeah. that calmer physiological response yeah. so that you can actually, when you're in the re- go, in go moment for real, mm. that one just more automatically kicks in. Yeah. And some people have said, is there a... F- is there a threat or a problem that they might be too calm in that environment? Mm. And I'm like, I don't think so. Yeah. You know, if it's really that critical moment, yeah. you're not going to be too calm. Because you just want to open up as much of the brain as possible yeah. to, you know, make decisions and to uh, readjust. Yeah, because you'll probably find, if I can make better decisions, I'm going to push even harder. I'm going to right. push even further. I'm going to, I've got more right. capacity mm. to take my performance to a whole nother level or yeah. get into that zone that I really need to get. You've just got more yeah. cognitive bandwidth yeah. to be able to do that. You mentioned, I, I love this concept of buffering the system. And, that, you know, this is, I think it's important that folks understand like the consistency piece of that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it's yeah. like you can't, expect to show up and perform to your potential in a high stakes, high stress situation, high pressure situation, when you are chronically underslept or chronically overfueled or underfueled or, you know, not getting enough fluid in your system, appropriate levels of fluid. Like, you know, it's just like these really kind of simple, basic things that kind of, I think, you know, you're either going to come to the situation with a full gas tank or half or a quarter. And so maybe just talk about, you know, how do we actually manage that allostatic load to, you know, and and how do we, how do we show up as consistently as possible with appropriate levels of physical, mental, emotional arousal? Without, without that then becoming a stress in and of itself. Exactly. Yeah. So what is, how do you, totally, yeah. Yeah. And I think that really depends on 
who we're having that conversation with, mm, you know. Context, yeah. So, so if it's someone who, man, they're an elite high performer, they're in the top 1% and either their livelihood, their life, the life of others, mm. you know, is, is critical on their ability yeah. to execute in that moment, then I think... Military acute care surgeons, like, and people who are 100%, just, yeah. Yeah, all, yeah. Of, all of that. Then that's quite a different conversation, I think, than if it's someone who, you know, they've just got... A fantastic life but it's just you know it's nine to five there's not mm. there's not a whole lot you know but they want to be yeah. optimizing their own performance just for well-being right i think that's sometimes there's a different intensity that would have that conversation yeah. with yeah. i think for me it's you know i have Across a list that military acute care surgeons actually is higher you know yeah, like to, to 100 percent. you know and i think that's i always feel like you know when i you know used to do some work with special operations like i just be like you know the cross to bear is is for you all is it's not when you're in the arena, yeah. it's actually it, when you're not the, when you're not in the arena. Yeah. And maybe frame it like that. yeah, because like, <laughs> yeah. that to me is the the challenge. Yeah, hundred percent for everyone, really. Yeah, but. and I think you know I have a list, and this we're coming into this framework that I'll present in terms yeah. of you know, squiggly lines and red lines, right? Mm. Is I'll often or always when I'm presenting, I've, I've got just got this list of all of the things, allostatic load pieces, yeah. you know, that's like here are all of the things that can escalate your squiggly line, turn on your sympathetic nervous right. system, right? And, and then what are some of those things, real quick? All of the yeah. things we were talking about before, right. yeah, sleep deprivation, caffeine, high sugar diet, you mm. know, alcohol. refined carbohydrates, alcohol, toxic environments, fear of failure, fear of not being good enough, taxes, life, kids, travel, uh, you know, everything, right? Yeah. Fear of failure, um, yeah. high consequence of outcome, you mm. know, chronic pain, TBI, you know, all right. of those things, right? And I'll get people to, you know, identify on that list really what are their key things? What are their mm. things that are their big ticket items that they know is contributing to escalating their squiggly line? And generally that's where we start because I don't think we Such can... Such a beautiful analogy. Well, otherwise I think people have the sense of guilt that's like, yeah. oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not sleeping well or I'm right. not, you know, what, and I think it's when in that framework it's understanding that it's there's consequences to the choices that we make. Yeah have I got buffer in my system to allow for that? If I understand that that thing impacts me in this way and it escalates my arousal state, mm. then I might be okay with that until it's like, okay, now it's a campaign or it's a, it's a critical moment coming up that I know I can prepare for. So I'm going to take some of those things out, again, just to make sure that I'm not constantly escalating my arousal state. Yeah. Funny enough, one of the biggest ticket items is how someone breathes when they're not thinking about breathing, you know, to that's, mm. that point that we were talking about before. If your default brainstem breathing pattern is shallow and upper chest... Mm. You're going to be operating in a higher arousal state all the time without being aware of that. So you don't really fix that with breath work. That's where you've got to retrain breathing mechanics. Whole other conversation. But I think... It's really interesting to see in our data. I, I want to do this study more formula, formally, but we have this thing called stress monitor. Mm. It's, a, it's an unbelievable feature, but it basically looks... It's a combination of um, your autonomic nervous system and heart rate, so HRV and heart rate. It's an algorithm that basically kind of shows your stress on a scale of zero to three. And um, it's interesting to see kind of the shallow breathers, what their mm. stress monitor looks like during sleep versus someone who is, is breathing from the belly. Yeah, that would be a fascinating um, study it, to unpack that stuff. Uh, so fascinating, yeah. right? Yeah, and, yeah. and how does that actually bleed into how you function and operate during the yeah. day, right? How you recover. And, yeah. you know, like I, I just feel like to me there's just a goldmine of, of insight in our kind of little stress yeah. monitor. But the things that I observe and seeing when I kind of talk to people and like just comparing data um, that I think it validates, I think, what you're saying in terms mm. of like, 
how our breathing during the day when we're not kind of conscious of it, how it yeah, actually yeah. manifests in our sleep. And, yeah. 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 And then there's a whole performance piece that I think doesn't get touched particularly well in, in the breathing space. Mm. Or, you know, the main focus o- often is in HIV arousal state, right. you know. Right. There's a whole biomechanics, physical performance piece yeah. that's related to breathing mechanics, default breathing mechanics, and then your mm. breath control when you do your thing. Mm. Particularly when, if you're, you know, let's say you are a um, tactical athlete with firearms, um, carrying load over distance over time because of the changes in the respiratory mechanics. If you've got carrying load, compression, yeah. you know, changes things, right? Yeah. If you're a rower, if you are a basketball player, if you're mm. a tennis player, mm. the whole changes that happen to biomechanics of your sport and performance yeah. that's got nothing to do with the arousal state piece, it's actually the physical execution. Right. But what changes with, you know, just respiratory mechanics with that? You know, can you hold good core strength and breathe well. You know, it's, yeah. it's actually a minefield and it's really Gosh. cool. You know, it's a, yeah. I, I love working in that space. Yeah. But as I said, that's a, that's a whole other conversation. Coming back to your original question, because yeah. I know we could talk for hours on all this stuff, is probably rather than going here is a gold standard list and you have to do all of these things, which right. can become stressful for people, totally. right? It's what do you know escalates your arousal state mm. and what can you do that works for you that's going to de-escalate, that gives you best bang for your buck. Right. And then generally once you've got some of those things squared away, now I've got more capacity mm. to address some of the other more challenging things. Yeah. Because, you know, to your point about, you know, elite military or critical care workers, those those are generally our, our populations that have got the least time and the, yeah. the, the most exhausted and constraints at the best of times so normally we have to find one or two critical things that work for them that also works in their time frames you know um and that's where we start to nuance it and make it work for them and their and their time yeah i mean like i said i know we're coming up on time here and this is like i could literally just talk to you for days i think maybe if we can just end with like talking you know you talk about breath talk about vision Maybe just talk a little bit more about thought, because I think that you you touch on gratitude, you know, curiosity, awe. Like, if you can just kind of put those three together in like one example mm. of like, you know, this is what we do with our breath. This is vision. This is thought. Like, kind of just give us like a kind of a power example of like, so folks can kind of take away, and be like, all right, these are the kind of the things that I need to think about mm. um, when I'm trying to manage a mm. pressure situation. Mm. So I would just I literally call it a get out of jail card. Yeah. Right, and it's. This thing happens, whatever it is, you've felt that stress response kick in. Mm-hmm. It's a breath out, you okay. know. Let's talk public speaking because I think this is an area that most people can relate to. Yeah, yeah. okay, So maybe cool. that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. All right. And so hopefully you've done some front-loaded work, right? So right. You, so yeah. you've not going in totally cold. You're not cold. going in totally yeah. cold. But it so might reduce be, the uncertainty. Yeah, reduce the yeah. uncertainty, get more comfortable, get more comfortable being uncomfortable, mm. cold showers, you know, mm. whatever it is that you do that just gets you comfortable with that threat response. And more mm. importantly, that now you've learned that the threat response is not, the, it's not dangerous, right? right? It's, it's okay to feel anxious, you know, and nervous. It's just, have you got buffer in your system mm-hmm. to handle that. But let's say you're about to walk on stage, your name's been called, you know, you've got sweaty palms, dry mouth, you know. That would be an awesome moment just to look up, you know, mm-hmm. and just to either, you know, look onto the onto where the ceiling and the and the wall meet or just be aware of peripheral vision as you mm-hmm. breathe out. Mm-hmm. As you do that long, slow exhale, you know, and drop your shoulders and then take one or two breaths down into your belly where it's in and out through your through your diaphragm. I don't even care about, you know, in for however many seconds, or I think people get too caught up on that. Yeah, it's first principles. Just yeah. breathe into your belly. You right. know, breathe out more slowly. And in public speaking, 
how often is it that we are so focused on, are they going to think I'm an idiot? Are they going to, am I going to say the wrong thing? What if I forget what I'm going to say? We were so self-focused in that moment, which turns on so much threat response because that triggers some really deep primal things around fear of what other people think, you know, getting kicked out of the tribe, all of that yeah. historical, physiological hard coding, right? But if you can flip that into what an amazing opportunity to share knowledge that might actually really help people. Yeah. Like that becomes making it about the other people. And as humans, when we can tap into some of those things, it's the thing about tapping into a purpose that's bigger than just ourselves. Yeah. I think in that moment, that's where you tap into the opportunity. You know, I, I was um, invited to present at the Premier League Head Coaches Summit last year. <gasps> Wow, and it was, yeah, it was, it was fascinating because yeah. I haven't grown up in professional football, right? right and so the yeah. whole, oh my goodness, it's the Premier League moment yeah. kind of didn't hit, but I could <laughs> sense that in the room, you yeah. know, and everyone who was presenting was a bit on edge and there was just right. this tension, right? And I was like, what's this about? You know? <laughs> Which was, I'm grateful I didn't have that, but I yeah. walked up on stage and it was very serious and very intense, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and when you presented with, you know, groups of, you know, I mean, again, some of the groups we've talked about before. This felt weird that there was this intensity with head coaches and managers of sport teams, right? Um, Anyway, so I walked up on stage and I felt that little bit of nerves, you know, but immediately, because I was like, oh, right, there's that judgment (laughs) thing, right? Especially being the only female female presenting, you know, and I think Mm. the only female in the room, you know, at at that point, which has never bothered me, Mm. but I was like, and I was like, hang on a sec, like I immediately reframed it when I felt Mm. those nerves to what an amazing opportunity that I can share some knowledge that is fundamentally or has the potential to fundamentally not only change these coaches' experiences of handling, because, you know, we've talked very much about high pressure in the peak moment, right? We haven't even touched on how do you sustain that over a career or a lifetime of high pressure and high stakes environments. So it was like this might change their life, but also have them coach from a very different way. So they're not coaching from that fear-driven, outcome-driven way, right? Yeah that is actually going to change the lives of all of their athletes. So, so to me, that's big purpose, right? Yeah. And it's like, man, that's exciting. That's an opportunity. Mm. I'm so grateful for that. Same as even being on this podcast, right? Yeah. It's like, this isn't about me. It's about what knowledge we can share that yeah. might fundamentally help people. Okay. So I think that f- reframe and that, and that get out of jail card is really important mm. as well. I love that. Yeah. Well, this has been wildly insightful yeah, uh, thank you good. for your oh, time today you. uh, and sharing your knowledge um the work that you do is just is uh is really i think you'd say you know kind of first principle but in in so many ways like a lot of folks are very disconnected from these principles so yeah. i you know i think that helping people you know kind of come back to just this kind of core framework is um is so valuable so when you talk about impact the impact that you're having is, is just uh, truly remarkable. So oh, likewise, thank oh. you. Thank you for everything you do. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it. Last question. What are you obsessing over right now? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep, probably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only because I'm, I've been on the road for like, you know, for, for weeks at the yeah, moment. So, so that's kind of my thing. Oh, that's a, that's a fantastic question. Answer your question. I'd probably say that deeper level of performance. You know, as in like, I think we're getting pretty good at some of those more superficial, you know, sleep and nutrition, all those sorts of things, right? But that real human aspect and how do we actually connect people and pull that out from them? Yeah. I think that's probably, you know, that holistic like integration piece. Fear and yeah. 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 And that, I, yeah. I totally agree. And getting out of these freaking silos yeah. that we often look at performance and, yeah. you know. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier just this integration, you know, like I think that that it's like we have to work together, you know, yeah. to kind of create a solution 100%. that 
is has the right level of context. Yeah. You know, because I think when we come at it from one kind of vantage point, we're we're probably missing a yeah. lot of the pieces. You know. Yeah. And, well, that's what you know. We talk, I often talk about optimizing the gray. You know, that is that piece, oh, I right? To ask you. Yeah. 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 It, it's very much that stuff that it doesn't fit in a silo. You know, and yeah. sometimes it's very very hard to measure. Right, and and so we don't because we can't measure it in the science world, mm. and often in the sport performance world, there's not yeah. a data point that we can put to it. It's easy to we don't think about it, right? Yeah. Or, or it's not that we don't think about it, but we can't measure it. We can't show a change can't in performance. It. Can't, can't quantify it, yeah. right? But to me, that matrix of that's what makes us humans. It's yeah. actually where all of that stuff, yeah. that stuff that fits all, all between the gaps, you know, mm. is, is where the magic actually is. Yeah. And the stuff that overlaps, you know, and I remember yeah. someone saying, and I, I wish I could remember who this quote was from, but, you know, I, you've probably heard this phrase before in performance, it's like, stick to your lane, right? Mm. Well, and the, the phrase that was given to me was like, you know, learner drivers need lanes, but Formula One drivers don't, yeah. you know, they know how to operate, you I know, all over and, and, yeah. and Excel, right? Yeah. And I think there's obviously professional boundaries and I think we have that professional responsibility mm. to know what we're good at and we'll know what is not our skill set and that's mm. very appropriate. But I think being able to work with other, you know, exceptional yeah. people, with, and there's always an overlap yeah. in, in skills and knowledge and I think that overlap is where there's so yeah. much we can yeah. optimise in that space. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I gave, you can't really teach the mind without understanding the body and you can't teach the body without understanding the mind. 100%. Um, I, I think that these mind-body interactions, again, like understanding how it fits together mechanistically and, and then just in an applied setting is, yeah, yeah. is everything, you know? And I think yeah. as practitioners, I think we have to get to a place where, you know, we are understand these interactions at a fundamental level yeah. and can teach from that that yeah. platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's just, we're only just starting to understand that human piece and how we can yeah. really optimize performance. Yeah. You know, I love that's that. That's more than the data the points. Yeah, the yeah. Gray. It's cool. And I think back to your original point just about awareness and interoception, like I think at a fundamental level, like the more we kind of understand, all right, what is actually sitting in the gray? Mm. You know, is it the fear? Is it the, this, you know, like what are, what are yeah, these yeah. things that are in the gray? Then we can start to manage them yeah. more effectively in, yeah. in these moments that really count. Yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Rachel. It's great. Yeah. Big thanks to Rachel Vickery for joining us to discuss her work as an advisor and coach to the high-performing individuals she works with. If you enjoyed this episode of the WHOOP podcast, please leave a rating or review. Please subscribe to the WHOOP podcast. You can check us out on social, at WHOOP, at Will Ahmed. If you have a question you want to see answered on the podcast, email us, podcast.whoop.com. Call us, 508-443-4952. We'll answer your questions on a future episode. If you're thinking about joining WHOOP, this is the best time ever because you can now sign up for free for 30 days. That's right, a free trial. It's the full membership experience. And you can decide at the end of 30 days whether you want to become a member. New members can also use the code WILL to get a $60 credit on Whoop Accessories. That's just W-I-L-L at checkout. All right, folks, that's a wrap. Thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next week on the Whoop Podcast. As always, stay healthy and stay in the green.